I would invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. We're in page 657 in the Pew Bible. And the children here, kindergarten to second grade, can head off to Children's Church if they'd like to go. Kids, kindergarten to second grade. Proverbs chapter 31. And we come this morning to the conclusion of our year-long study through the book of Proverbs. And so today is the final uh, day. And it's been a challenging study. Um, it's challenging because, you know, Proverbs doesn't pull any punches. Proverbs is very direct. It's very practically oriented. And it covers the whole gamut of human experience. Uh, Proverbs talks about raising your children and sex and money and greed and pride and gossip and pretty much if we've experienced it as humans it's somehow addressed in Proverbs in a very pointed uh, kind of in your face way so it's been a challenging rewarding study in that sense Um, it's also I think been challenging for me as a preacher because I much prefer my, my sort of tendency is to preach sort of longer cohesive literary units you know what I mean like preach through a psalm or preach through a story or preach through three paragraphs in the Apostle Paul's writings that all fit together as an argument. That's that's sort of my inclination. It's the kind of preaching that I like to do, which is what I call expository preaching. Expository preaching is where you expose what's in the Bible rather than the preacher sort of thinking, you know, today I want to talk about this. And so let's see, I need to find some verses that back that up. You know, instead of saying, let's, let's just read what the Bible says, and whatever it says is what we're going to focus on, and let it set the agenda for us. So I like to do that, and it's easier to do with a longer unit, because you have a beginning, a middle, and end. You have a context to guide you. But with Proverbs, it's just not structured that way. So if you're going to talk about money, you know, there's a, there's a key verse in chapter 2, and then there's one in chapter 3, and there's two in chapter 4. So, so gathering these together has really, at least for me, stretched me. And I'd be curious to know if it stretched you as hearers of of God's Word, you know, looking at Scripture this way. So you can imagine my delight when I came to the end of Proverbs. And here at the end is a 21-verse poem. Chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. It's a, 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 this lengthy poem. In fact, it's, it's so unified. You don't see this in English, but in Hebrew, this is an alphabetic poem. In other words, every line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, on down the line. Uh, so it's this wonderful poem, and it's a poem, uh, really an, an encomium, uh, praising the ideal wife or the ideal woman. Uh, look at chapter uh, 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That the whole book of Proverbs would end with a poem about the ideal wife or the ideal woman? It's kind of, I don't know, the more I thought about it, I thought this is sort of odd. It's like you you get to the end of this wonderful book of Proverbs and you have this ancient version of e-harmony or something. I don't know. It's kind of, hey, this is the woman that you you should look for. And at first I thought, this is really bizarre. Why end a book like this? But the more I studied, the more I thought about it and you know, dug around, I, I've come to be convinced that I think 
this is a really fitting way to end this book and that it does draw things together kind of in a surprising way. Maybe not the way I would have laid it out, but, uh, but then again, um, you know, there's probably a reason I didn't lay out the Bible. So, <clears throat> here we have chapter 31. And the, the reason is because it draws together a thread that's been running through Proverbs, and it's the story of four women. There are four women who keep popping up in the book of Proverbs. Two of them are personifications, and two of them are idealizations, you might say, or uh, real-life manifestations of the personifications. Let let me tell you what I mean. Let's take the first two personifications. There's these two women. One is Lady Wisdom, and one is Lady Folly, or Lady Foolishness. They personify the virtues of wisdom and folly. Uh, For instance, go back uh, to chapter 9 real quick of Proverbs. Let me just show you what I mean. We bumped into these before. First, you have Lady Wisdom in chapter 9. Actually, most of chapter 8 is about Lady Wisdom. We did a whole sermon on that. But if you look at chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, it says, Wisdom has built her house. There's the personification. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So wisdom is here represented as a woman who's cooked up a big barbecue, this huge meal, and she's inviting people to come dine at her house. In other words, to take in wisdom is really what that imagery is about. And she's standing calling out to all the passers-by, who's going to come to my house and learn wisdom and live? Now, she's got a competing voice. There's another voice calling out as well. That's Lady Folly. Look down at verse 13. The woman Folly is loud in a bad way. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city. So she's competing here calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. In other words, come in here. I've got secret. The implicit message there is sinful secret food. Come in here. Verse 18, But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. So we have these two women. We have the representation of wisdom, the representation of foolishness, and each of them call out to us, and each of them promise life, but one gives life and one gives death. Now, the other two women in the book of Proverbs are the, uh, if, you were, if, if you would, sort of the incarnations of the, these women. So Lady Folly has sort of a real-life incarnation, an avatar, if you would, of of herself in the real life. So, for instance, look at chapter 7. Here's Lady Folly's real-life example. And we, we studied this. It's the uh, unfaithful wife. She's an example of Lady Folly. Look at verse 6 of chapter 7. At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. So you got this dope walking down the street. This young fool... He was going down the street corner near her, near, near, down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. You have this ominous kind of uh, background setting in. Verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud. See, there's that 
connection to Lady Folly. And defiant. Her feet never stay at home, now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I've fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. And so it's a, just a gripping, kind of visceral portrayal of what folly looks like in real life. So that's the real-life manifestation of Lady Folly. But what's the real-life manifestation then of Lady Wisdom? Who's the fourth lady in Proverbs? And the answer is, it's the woman from Proverbs 31. So now go back to Proverbs 31. This poem about the ideal wife is not simply, uh, hey son, try to find this kind of girl, although it's part that too. But more than that, it's really talking about what wisdom looks like lived out in the real world. That's what it is. It, so, so this woman, in a sense, takes in wisdom, imbibes wisdom, assimilates wisdom, and this is how you see it in action. It's going to look like this person. And so that's how it applies not just to women, but to men. It applies to all of us. We should all be looking like this, living out wisdom in action. All right? you know, for the last year, uh, we've been looking at wisdom like taking a, a movie film, you know, a frame by frame, and it's like we've been looking at each frame and examining the different components of wisdom for the last year as we've slowly worked through this book. But at some point, you've got to put the movie in the projector and run it and show it. I mean, that's the right way to see a movie. And that's what this woman is. She's wisdom in action. We see how it looks and, and what it produces in our lives. Uh, you know, there's two ways to enjoy a car. You can open up the hood of the car and you can take out the carburetor and you can take out the fuel injectors and that's pretty much what I know that's in there. So, um, <laughs> but there's other things in there that you could take out. And so, you, you, you know, and you can look at each part of a car and be like, okay, that's that and that's that. And that's what we've done for the last year. We've taken out all the Proverbs and put them on the table one by one. But that's not really how you enjoy a car. You've got to put the car together, put the hood down, turn the key, and watch that thing peel out. That's how you enjoy a car. And so that's what this woman is. She is an example of what it looks like when we take in all the wisdom of Proverbs, assimilate it, actualize it, uh, and personalize it, and then live it and put it into motion. And when a car goes by, you don't see every little gear and sprocket. You see the car. You know that it's inside working. So in the same way, this lady sums up wisdom. She doesn't not, we're not going to see every single topic covered here that we studied throughout the year. But we know it's there because she's working. It's under the hood. It's all happening together. And what does it look like? Well, and the answer is, as we look at this poem, we see a woman who's marked by two characteristics. She's marked by hard work. Diligent, tired work, tireless work. Number two, she pours herself out for the good of others. For her husband, for her children, for those who work for her, for her neighbors, for the poor in her community. And so as we look at this poem, looking at the poem now in chapter 31, you have the introduction, verses uh, 10 through 12. And then you have the main body of the poem, verses 13 to 27. And let's look at that now. Let's look at the main body of the poem where it talks about 
what this woman's like. And here's what I want you to do as, as I read through it and kind of comment on it. I want you to look for those two threads. The thread of hard-working, diligent, disciplined effort that is then, the second thread, poured out for the good of others. So look for those two threads running through this, okay? So let's just take it verse by verse and read it. Verse 13. She, brings, uh, uh, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Remember, this is before the Industrial Revolution, so if you wanted textiles, if you wanted fabric, you had to make it yourself. So she's making wool into heavy winter clothes and flax into light linen summer clothes. Verse 14, she's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. You know, what a great image of constant motion and industry as she travels out and then she comes back. And where did you get that? Well, I was down at the market and I, I made a deal with this person and that one owed me a favor and look what I got. And, you know, so this is industrious, creative, clever person like a merchant ship. Verse 15, she gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. So she's up early. She, early to bed, early to rise, I guess. She's there helping her family. And she even has servant girls. So she has people who work for her. This is a woman who's a leader who manages a team of people and oversees the work of other people. She's a manager and a director. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's like a B.C. version, I guess, of Donald Trump or something. You know, she's buying land, making money off the land, taking that money and investing it in more land, uh, building capital slowly. Uh, this is a savvy business person who's hard at work evaluating things and making tough purchases and leveraging those in order to purchase more things. You know, sometimes we have this vision of the Bible. There's this kind of stereotype that the Bible is very repressive to women. That it's a book that sort of makes women seem helpless and incapable and, and they need a man to run their life. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just not really seeing that here. <laughs> what I'm seeing is a very active, capable, smart, decisive woman who is doing well for her family as she works hard and serves others. Look at verse 17. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong. There's that strength. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. So this is talking about weaving thread. So not only did they have to make their own cloth, but they had to weave the thread for it in the first place. And so what they would do is uh, they would have a spindle, which was like a long stick, and at the bottom was a round weight that, that gave it momentum and weight at the bottom. And then they would take you know, a clump of wool or something and tease out some of the fibers and attach it to the spindle and then as you spun that it would then stretch and pull and wind the, the wool while at the same time you spun the wool with your fingers and then that way it was spun this way and spun this way and stretched so it turned that clump of wool into nice thread so she's again just a picture of hard work this is a woman who is working hard for her family pouring herself out for them but it's not just for her family verse 20 she opens her arms to the poor she extends her hands to the needy. So what does she do with all of this hard-earned through her own business acumen and the sweat of her brow? She earns this wealth, but it's not just to be hoarded. She's, she's liberal with it, and she opens herself to those in need and gives to them as well. So she's caring for others. It says in verse 21, When it snows, she has no need... No fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen, 
and purple. You know, scarlet and purple uh, were cloths in those days that were very expensive. The process of dyeing cloth, scarlet or purple, was uh, very time-consuming. So to wear purple clothes was like you were wealthy, you were prosperous. Only the most prosperous people could afford that kind of clothing. So she's done well through her industry. And then we have this kind of interlude. Verse 23 is a little bit of an interlude in the main body where we shift back to the husband. It says, Her husband is respected at the city gate when he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now, you may know the city gate was where the center of town life and government took place. So like when the pilgrims and the Puritans came here, they would build right in the center of town, they would build a meeting house, right? And every town has the old meeting house. Well, that's what the city gate was. It was the meeting house. It's where the town fathers, if you want to use that language, the town fathers would meet and decide things. So the point seems to be that because of her nobility, hard work, care for others, she has created kind of a reputation for her family so that her husband is respected in town. Not only for who he is, but for who his whole family is, which his wife has helped to create. So her service and her work has sort of lifted the whole family in the respect and esteem of the community. And then we get back in verse 24, back to the hard work. This woman, this woman's exhausting. She's like Martha Stewart on steroids. I don't know. Without the jail time. And she's amazing. She's, verse 34, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. So she's the one who's giving the merchants what they need to sell. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. But it's not just all financial. Verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Like like I said, the wisdom is in there fueling this kind of life. And if you want to know something, if you want counsel or advice, this is the woman people go to talk to. Well, have you talked to her yet? Oh, I need to. I need to do that. Go talk to her. She'll, She'll tell you what to do. She's almost always right. You know, that's a wise woman. And so she's not just feeding people with food and clothing, but with wisdom and advice for living. You know, so you want to get wisdom? Let me, you, know, you, have a, you get a woman like this, you marry her, and then you listen to what she says. That's a great way to become wise. Find the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, somehow, you know, trick her into marrying you. <laughs> and then listen to her. And you will become wise. Because she is the personification or, or the incarnation of wisdom itself, in a sense, in a sense. And verse 27 sums it up. Here's the two threads brought together in verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household. There's the care for others. And she does not eat the bread of idleness. There's the hard work. So what does it look like to assimilate, imbibe, and actualize this book that we've been studying for the last year? It will result in a life that is hardworking and other-focused. It will result in a life, first, that is hardworking, disciplined, tireless, a life where we push things aside in order to work hard and not be distracted and not waste our time. Uh, You know, I was thinking if this woman lived in the uh, 21st century today, you know, you probably wouldn't find her eating bonbons and watching soaps three hours a day. She wouldn't have time for that. Uh, This woman would not uh, be at the spa every week. (laughs) She would not be on the phone gossiping with people, wasting time. She would, you wouldn't find her just kind of dawdling around Derby Street shops for hours on end, you know, just kind of wandering around looking at things and seeing, being seen and being seen by others. She, she just wouldn't have time for that nonsense. She's too busy. 
with her family, with her community, with her church, with her town, just pouring herself out. And that's the second part. She pours herself out for others. She, she's constantly other-focused. This is so countercultural in a culture that tells us, look, it's all about you. You want to be happy? You've got to focus on you. You, know, you need some me time. You need a vacation. Do something for yourself. How have you treated yourself lately? You know, in, in this constant me-focused thing, and, and at some point you say, wait a minute, is that really the message of Scripture? This me-focusedness? No, it's focus on others. Pouring ourselves out for others like the Lord Jesus Christ. The most hardworking person in the Bible, tirelessly effort in efforts for God, and pouring himself out even unto death for us and for our salvation. And so ultimately, I think she points to Christ and his hardworking, pouring out kind of life. So this applies, that's where the application is, not just for women and mothers, but for men, for children, for all of us. And then in, we have the conclusion of the poem, which is verses 28 to 31 where the community, in a sense, responds to the woman. So we've had this whole litany of how she is, what she does. And now in the end, we have the community's response to her. So look at verse 28. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Even in this quote-unquote man's world, supposedly, she is at the city gate standing among the elders and leaders and people are lauding her for the kind of life she has lived and the kind of person that she's been. <clears throat> and, you know, as I read this, I, uh, it was such, it's a strange experience kind of studying this poem because there was one side of me that was very, you know, approaching it in the scholarly way. I was translating it and studying the structure and looking for cross-references. But there was also a side of me as I was studying this, it was very just personal. Because as I kept reading the poem and studying it more and more, I, I just kept thinking, this is my wife, Jennifer. I was just so delighted. I was like, wow, I, I married a... I don't know how I did that. I, wow, I, I was lucky. There is a God. I... Uh, Somehow I have a Proverbs 31 woman. And I felt like I just needed to stand up like the husband in the story and praise her, you know, at the city gates. You know, what an amazing woman she is. And because my wife does work hard and pour herself out for our family, you know, it blesses me and enables me to be the person that I need to be and, and can be for you in different ways. Let me give you an example of that. Just so, and the only reason I tell this story is just so you can kind of get a glimpse of how this this stuff works out in the 21st century in our world today. Um, Friday morning, this is my, my four-year-old, our youngest kid, got sniffles or something. Throughout the day, he kind of got fever and got sicker and sicker and just, you know, was lethargic or whatever. Uh, that night, we actually let him crawl into bed with us. We never let our kids crawl in bed with us, you know. I know some people do that. We're like, eh, you know, we brought him home from the hospital. You're in the crib. Uh, I want to sleep. So we've always been like that. So if the kids are in bed with us, that means they're really actually very sick and we want to keep an eye on them. So we're really worried about his breathing. Uh, he's just kind of shallow breathing, so he stayed with us. So the next morning was Saturday, which was yesterday. And I, I left for church. I went to the Labor Day, had to get ready for the Labor Day picnic. I was um, coming here to get the sermon ready and all that stuff. So anyway, I call her in the morning. I'm like, hey, how's everything going? And she says, well, actually, we're going to the doctor here in a few minutes because you know, his breathing really isn't that great. So... 
I said, well, do you want me to come home and get the kids? So you can, I'll take the other three and you can take him to the doctor. And, and she's like, oh, no, no. She goes, listen. She goes, you have things to do. You need to work on your sermon. You need to get ready for this picnic and things for, to be there for the people. She goes, I'll be fine with the kids. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll call you later and see if I need to come over. Well, anyway, uh, I eventually did go get the kids. We took them to the Labor Day picnic. Jennifer had to go with the, uh, our, our kid to the hospital and found out he's getting the beginning stages of pneumonia. So, uh, so he's on you know, antibiotics now. He's fine. And he's you got the nebulizer thing, you know, the, the little pipe they smoke. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what it looked like to me, uh, sucking in the albuterol or whatever. So, so, so she tells me, she goes, we've got to do the nebulizer for him. And I'm like, okay. And she says, you have to give that to him once every four hours. She goes, all night. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to be tired tonight. You know, and we're kind of laughing. She says, actually, she goes, you know what? You have to preach tomorrow. And she says, you need to be, you know, ready for that. So I'm going to take care of that tonight. And you just get a good night's sleep and do that. She goes, and tomorrow, you know, when he's tired, I'll sleep with him and I'll catch up with my sleep. And, and you know, I was like, it's a small thing, but like, wow, what a, a tireless, hardworking, other-focused woman, you know, who enables me to do what I do. You know, if she was the kind of woman who said, I've been at the hospital all day. And, you know, you got to go to the picnic. I hope that was fun. But, you know, I've been in the hospital and... Right? It would just change what I could or couldn't do as a pastor. It would radically affect how I did my job. And so the reason I can... You know, because she works hard and selflessly pours herself out into her family and her friends and her community, that empowers me to work hard... You know, at studying the scripture, at, at being your pastor, you know, which I, I, you know, that's fair to moderate. But I, I just keep, you know, trying my best with whatever I can to be your pastor. And I can try to pour myself out into you. And hopefully this is how it works. That as, as God's word, not me, but God's word is feeding you and you come here to spiritually carbo-load on the word of God. You're then energized spiritually to go out and work hard. And pour yourselves out because you're nourished by God's Word. And that's how, it, hopefully, it works. And you see, it, it just is this train that goes back as people pour themselves into each other, living out the life of Christ, working hard, sacrificing ourselves, disciplining ourselves to be there for other people. And God uses that and pours us out into one another. If you're a Christian today, if you're a person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, by putting your trust in Him, is what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who's personally put their faith in Christ as their Savior. If that's where you are, probably it's because somebody along the way denied themselves and poured themselves into you to bring you the Gospel. And so this is how God works, through people emulating Christ and sharing the Gospel in word and in deed. <clears throat> I think of this church. You know, this is an amazing church in a lot of ways. I, I feel so blessed... You know, being the pastor of the church, like I feel like my wife. Like, how did I get her? How did I get this church? I don't know. Like, what's going on here? Um, it doesn't fit in my mind, but, well, there it is. And I think of this church, it has so many resources. This is such a, a blessed congregation. And I don't just mean financially, although God's blessed us financially too, but think of the education levels that are here. The kind of education God's given so many of us. Think about the musical talent we have here. The leadership talent the, the, the counseling talent, the um, servants we have, the people with different trades and skills. I mean, the skills and abilities and, 
and connections we have. We have people here who can pull strings on someone who can pull strings and make huge things happen. Just the connections of this body. And it's a wonderful thing. Not, I don't have any problem with that. The question is, what do we do with it? Now, I don't have any problem with people being wealthy or privileged. You know, some people have a chip on their shoulder about that. I don't care. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What do you do with what God has given you, whether it's little or much? And if God has given our church much, then we are responsible for that. And so my heart is, can we be the bride of Christ like the Proverbs 31 wife? Can we use the blessings God has poured into our congregation in a worldly sense to be a blessing to the South Shore of Boston and our communities and even to the ends of the earth? This is what it means for us to be following Christ, that we have productive lives that are hardworking, disciplined, and poured out for other people. And so where are you at in your own life in following Christ? Could it be, and this may sound a little direct, but hey, we're at the end of Proverbs, so let's put it all on the line here. Maybe you're just wasting your life. Isn't it possible that we're wasting our life? And it may not seem like we're wasting our life because we're doing just what the world tells us to do. You know, we're, we bought the things we've always wanted to buy, and we have the job we always wanted to get, and we're living in the house where we always wanted to live. We went to the school we wanted to go to, and we're engaged in the hobby that we enjoy, and we're doing all the world's things. And so it doesn't look like we're wasting our life. It looks like we're doing it right. But in reality, it's a waste because it's not being done for the glory of Christ, whatever it may be. <clears throat> and you do all those things, and you get it all, and you have it all before you, and then you're like, is this it? Is this what it's all about? And something deep inside is telling you this isn't it. Even though it seems like you have it and everyone else is jealous of what you have. And that that's not it. So what does it take? The answer is in verse 30. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, in other words, reverences and respects the Lord, is to be praised. So Proverbs began with the fear of the Lord and ends with the fear of the Lord. We have to come before God and humble ourselves before Him and say, God, I have been living my life for myself. I've been living my life for things that do not matter. God, I've bought into the wrong story, the wrong narrative. And Lord, I confess that. God, I want to change. I want to have a life lived for You and for others. And you need to turn your eyes to Jesus. As we sang earlier, turn your eyes upon uh, Christ and look to Him because Christ uh, is that One who worked hard and who poured Himself out for us. And because He poured out His blood on the cross, we can be forgiven and washed clean of our sins and have this new life. And so, which path? There's two paths. There's the path of folly that's often garbed in worldly success, but it ends in death apart from God. And then there's the path of Lady Wisdom, which is the path of Christ, who is wisdom. Not just a personification, not just an example. Jesus Christ is wisdom. Do you turn to Christ and find salvation? Which one is it? It's one or the other. So I would just stand with Lady Wisdom this morning and call you to Christ. Call you to put your faith in Him. To change the direction of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we, 
as individual Christians and as South Shore Baptist Church would reflect your character. Lord, we pray that we would be hardworking. God, we ask that you would prune us. Prune this church, starting with me. Lord, prune us from all of those things that hinder a vibrant, fruitful relationship with you. Lord, blow out all those things that keep us from a deeper fellowship with you. God, we pray that uh, you would cleanse us, as it says in Hebrews 12, that we would throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and that we would run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Lord, help us to be free and unencumbered by things in order to work hard for you. And then, Lord, change our hearts to be filled up with love for others. God, get our eyes off ourself, our needs, our complaints, our whining, and our grumpiness, God, and help us just to look to others and love them as you did Christ, the way you so selflessly poured yourself out even to the cross. And so, God, we just ask that you would make us into a church that would reflect the kind of bride that we see here in this book of Proverbs, that we might be the bride of Christ like that. So, Lord, use us and make us into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we come to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ for us. And uh, one of our elders, one of our pastors here, uh, Russ McLeod, is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning. So, Russ, would you come and lead us?